This sermon changes everything. I love this text so much. As, as you guys know by now, Jesus has been introducing the kingdom of God to this unsuspecting world. Um, this world where everything seems to be upside down from the way that the world views things. This kingdom of God. Where we've been changing how we relate to others. How we find ourselves when we're in the middle of our days, how we deal with things like anxiety, the law, prayer, and all kinds of other things. And be- beginning in chapter 7, we've been seeing how um, we've been focusing in on how not just it cha- this kingdom of God changes us internally, it changes how we relate to others. We saw that quite clearly in last week as we d- dealt with the famous judge not passage which was, um, really was a pleasure to unpack and see what that scripture really means. Um, but as we start to look on others, um, verse 6 seems to fit that bill perfectly. Verse 7 seems like we're talking about prayer again. And uh, there's a reason for that that we're really going to see when we, when we get to verse 12 next week. I'm not going to give away my lead, but that's going to be a good week <laughs> next time I come back. But um, in the meantime, let's take a a close look again at verse 6, where it says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, this verse is not so much about contempt for dogs or for pigs. It's much more about a respect for what is holy. I'm not sure if any of you have been so lucky or so fortunate to actually own a a pearl necklace. I mean, that's kind of not my thing. I'm not sure if it's yours, but I just Googled it for the first time to understand. I never realized how valuable those things were. I mean, some of them are worth thousands of dollars, thousands and thousands of dollars if you do a quick Google search. Man, some of those at the top of the search list my goodness but um and really made me grateful my wife isn't into that stuff (laughs) but it made me realize how absurd this picture is that jesus is painting for us i mean giving something of insurmountable wealth like a pearl necklace to a pig that's a pretty absurd picture when you think about it pigs have no they have no concept of something that valuable. They, they really have just like two compartments in their mind, food and not food. Actually, if you've ever seen what they eat, maybe it's just one category, food. <laughs> they eat everything. And so, the, so they have no category to comprehend this thing of supreme value that's being presented to them. And the same is true of those who hear the gospel, who have absolutely no interest in God and no interest in hearing of the gospel or his word. You know, you talk to them about spiritual things and the gospel specifically and how they can have every sin they've ever committed be completely washed clean by the act of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And they look at you like it's nothing life-changing. Having no interest of it. 
or at wor- or worse, some people are hostile towards the idea. And you can explain to them all day long of how valuable Jesus Christ is. And the, the category just isn't there. There's no interest in these things. And it's, it's, it's sad and it's unfortunate that they, they just do not understand. And here Jesus is telling us, you know, don't cast something so valuable continually before those who are unwilling to recognize its value. I, I will say, though, before I go further, that I believe that is largely an exception to the rule rather than the rule itself. Even in our Northeast culture, I believe it's a lie that people aren't interested in spiritual things. I mean, I think that we're just cynical in general here in the Northeast, aren't we? But I found in my own personal experience, once people figure out I'm not trying to sell them something, they actually do want to talk about these things. That uh, I'm not out to get their money. I genuinely have something I want to give them. But, and, and, and even then, you know, a lot of people are just putting on this tough guy persona. Like I remember when I was in college and I was uh, working with Campus Crusade for Christ and I was doing this little spiritual survey we would use to start gospel conversations. And um, I'm just going around doing my thing and I approached this one guy like I always do and he gave a response I was not expecting. He came and said, oh, I, I, guess, I guess I must have seen him before on campus or something. He said, I know about you. You're one of those born agains, aren't you? Well, you know what? I tried that once two years ago, and it did nothing for me. You know what? What, what do you have that you could possibly offer me that I don't already have? I got to say, I was a little bit off-put by that response. I wasn't expecting that. But, you know, in a to- which is what makes this next part such a God moment, because this isn't something I've ever done before. I skipped to the bottom of the survey and asked him the last question, which was, on a scale from 1 to 10... Rate your desire to know God. And he just stared at me blankly for like an uncomfortable three to five seconds. And he just, as he's locked eyes with me, he just says, I never thought about that before. What do you mean know God? You can know him? And that began a good hour-long conversation I had with this guy about Jesus and what he has done for him. I think many people are like him. They, uh, they, that, you know, once you get underneath that tough guy surface, there's a hunger and desire for God that they might not be able to express or even be aware of, but it's there underneath. But for others, beneath that surface of that tough guy persona is just more animosity, more hostility, more mocking. And Jesus is saying here, if that's the person who you're approaching, feel no obligation to spend your time and energy casting your pearls before that person. Because Jesus sure didn't with the Pharisees, did he? He met with one Pharisee, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, because he was genuinely seeking after God. He was just misguided with the group that he was running with. We'll get to that someday. But everyone else was basically judgmental hypocrites. So follow Jesus' example. Don't waste your time on the naysayers and scoffers of this world. 
leave that work to the Holy Spirit. It's not our job to be someone else's Holy Spirit. But in short, we are still called to shine our light before men. And that was part of the same sermon in John chapter 5. We still let our light shine before others. We bring this message before the world. But those who desire to remain in darkness, we respect their choice to remain in darkness. That is their choice to have. We just take our light to the next person. Hope that makes sense. And as we move forward... Um, we're reminded of an important principle of prayer, similar to how we ended chapter 6, that, um, we should, where it said you should seek first the kingdom of God. Where it says in verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you... If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, I'm amazed by how many people read this passage and conclude that we need to pray the way pagans do. That we, and concluding that we need to be begging God day and night to hear the prayers of his people. As if he is unwilling and uncaring for your situation. As if you have to knock day and night, listen to me God, listen to me, hear my prayers, why aren't you answering me? Is that what this passage is talking about? Is that the emphasis that Jesus is putting on here? Is that the God that we have been discussing as we taught through prayer in the last chapter? It sounds a lot more like the God of Baal from 1 Kings chapter 18. I encourage you to read that in your free time. See how these guys pleaded to their false God to try to answer them and the things they had to do to themselves. That, that sounds more like that. Because we need to remember when we're told to ask to seek and to knock at God's door, we're not knocking on a stranger's door. We're going before the door of our Father who loves us, who sent his Son to die for us. I mean, think about it. I, I don't know about you guys or what your experience has been, but when I knock on my Father's door, I'm greeted with a smile. He opens the door, invites me in, and usually gets tackled by the grandkids. At least in my father's house. Do you think, expect less of your own heavenly father? He who loves you. He who sent his son to die for you. Now, I know that not everybody has had a good earthly experience with your earthly father. I recognize that. It's an unfortunate thing because it messes with this example that's intended to be here in Scripture. We don't ignore that. But we can't let the truths of Scripture be reinterpreted by our experience. We need to allow our experiences to be reinterpreted by the God of the Bible and his intended uh, design for how things are meant to be. So in short, this isn't a caution 
that we need to be prepared to protest the gates of heaven for God to be able to hear us. It's really the opposite. This is an invitation. This is an invitation to come before the throne of grace. To come and lay the desires of your heart before a God who loves you. So yes, keep going and, and, and before God and ask because it will be given to you, it says. That doesn't indicate hesitation. That indicates willingness to answer our prayers. That's really the main point of this section, that there is a willingness for God to answer your prayers, not this unwillingness that we have to overcome. And it breaks my heart that even people in my line of duty get that so wrong. So yes, we continue in prayer. The, the, their arguments are correct. The, the Greek tense is the way that it is. It's keep on praying, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. But it's not because you have to. It's because we get to. It's because we desire to meet with God in prayer. We desire to meet with Him and pray with our Heavenly Father and have fellowship with the God who made this universe. I mean, if we truly understood what prayer was about, the problem wouldn't be getting us to start praying. It would be getting us to stop if we really understood what it is that we're doing here, truly from the heart. So that's the point of this, next, of this section. And even as we go into this other section, talking about how God knows how to give good gifts to his children. Speaking of which, if you brought your own personal Bible or you're following in one of those Bible apps, take a look at verse 11, and I encourage you guys to highlight or underline where it says, how much more. That's one of those literary devices that we've been talking about that points, kind of clues us into where Jesus is going in this morning's passage. It's another one of those lesser to greater arguments that Jesus makes. We saw that in the last chapter where it said, God, you know, God cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. How much more is he going to take care of you? So in the same way, if our, earth, if our sinful earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more is our heavenly and perfect father going to give good gifts to his children, us? And that's no dig on our earthly fathers by calling them evil or sinful. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us. We all have that. But what wicked father would withhold food from their children who ask for it? Who, if asking for bread, is going to get a stone in its place? Here, chew on this, kid. Oh, you got oh, you want a fish? Here's a snake. You can go go chase after this. Absurdity. You gotta love Jesus' sense of humor. You gotta pick up on that as this goes. But it raises a question, and it's an important one. If God is so good and faithful to provide, why does my life look like this? Where is this amazing provision of God answering all of these prayers? Where is this willingness? That hasn't been my experience. 
That's a valid and good question. And it has a twofold answer from our readings this morning from James chapter 4. The first is that you do not have because you do not ask. One reason why our prayers aren't get an- don't get answered is because we don't pray them in the first place. Our own prayerlessness is to blame. You desire things but don't ask for them. We don't ask, seek, or knock, and we wonder why it's not there. It's because God isn't a computer program working on an algorithm to answer our prayers. It's based off of our relationship with him where we meet with him, we pray with him, and we commune with him, and we ask for these things. I mean, yes, our Father gives us our basic necessities. Any deadbeat dad living in another time zone can, do that, can send a birthday card. But our Heavenly Father desires us to meet with him and provide for us as we talk to him and bring these things to his attention. And secondly... You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly that you will spend it on your passions. Let's be honest. Sometimes we think we're asking for bread when we pray or a fish. We're really asking for a serpent, though, when we pray. I mean, think about it. If I gave my kids everything that they asked for, I would be arrested for child endangerment. They would eat nothing but pizza and ice cream. They would, they would never go to school and their teeth would be rotting out because they'd never brush their teeth. Their Heavenly Father has to be there to give them what they need, not just what they want. And God does the same for us. Even if they don't understand it at the time, it's what they need. I'm sure you guys are picking up where I'm going, where, going with this. Because I don't know about you, but how many prayers have you asked God where if he had answered the way that you wanted him to, it would have changed your life for the worse if we had gotten what we actually asked for as we asked for it? I mean, if you had gotten that job, it might have ruined your family working 80, 90 hours a week. If you had gotten that house, you would have had to move away and you never would have met someone significant in your life. And I don't know about you, I've met plenty of people that have prayed to win the lottery. I'm sure you guys have seen those documentaries of how it ruins your life. They're all over if you want to see them. God loves us too much to give us those snakes, even if we ask for them. He knows the kinds of gifts we really need. And if we're honest, most of the time we have no idea what we really need. So the best prayer that we could pray, I believe, is to meet with God and just be honest with him. To meet with him as our heavenly father who loves us. Lay out whatever the desires of our heart are. Whatever requests we have. But do it in a spirit of humility. And and laying it out and saying, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I ask you for. But Lord, you know best. Provide me and help for me. 
In the same way that my kids might ask for pizza, I'm still giving them chicken and broccoli. Because <laughs> I know what's best for them. So the, my invitation this morning is to accept Jesus' invitation to ask, seek, and knock. Knowing that the one who will answer you loves you. That he knows how to give good gifts for you. Who invites us to come before that throne of grace we've been talking about. And he who didn't spare his son, will he not also freely give us all things? As that verse in Romans gives us. Thanks be to God for these precious promises. Amen.